Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Bird Calls. I'm your host, David Grubb. And the offseason has been quiet for the New Orleans Pelicans for the most part. They did announce the hiring of former Charlotte Hornets head coach James Borrego as associate head coach. I like that move a lot. Borrego did two things exceptionally well while he was in Charlotte. He uh, played with a lot of pace, and his teams took and made a lot of threes. His final Hornets team of 43-39 and 39 finished in the top 10 in the NBA in points, offensive rating, pace, three-point attempts, and three-point percentage. The Pelicans need to take and make more threes. They need to move the basketball. It looks like Borrego should be a big help in both of those areas. They also found out that trusted assistant coach Jaron Collins, who oversaw the Pelicans' sixth-ranked defense, will also be coming back, so good news there for Willie Green and his staff. Brandon Ingram got some good news of his own. He's going to take a spot on Team USA, according to ESPN. B.I. will be playing for the national team in the FIBA Basketball World Cup Championships in the Philippines this summer. Hopefully it has a positive impact on his mindset, teaches him more about leadership and being an elite basketball player, and it helps develop his game competing against some of the very best in the NBA in practice day in and day out and the very best teams in the world. Finally, Zion Williamson announced that he is going to be a father to a baby girl. He had his gender reveal posted on YouTube. As a fellow girl dad, all I can say is congratulations and welcome to the club. All right, that's it. So let's get into today's show. I am welcoming Alex Golden, who covers the Indiana Pacers and hosts the Setting the Pace podcast. I was a guest on his draft preview episode, and I wanted to have him on so we could discuss one of the most persistent rumors from year to year in the NBA, at least down here it is, Miles Turner potentially being traded to the New Orleans Pelicans. We got into some other stuff as well, but we got right at it in talking about the Pacers' big man and just how long this stuff has been going on. Alex, I wanted to jump right into something because it seems like there's death, there's taxes, and there's rumors about Miles Turner being traded to the New Orleans Pelicans. <laughs> Does it seem that way to you? Not from this end. Maybe in years past, it's definitely felt more like, okay, maybe this is something. Because I know at one point when you guys had Drew Holiday, I think there was talks about maybe like a Miles for Drew conversation. I mean, that's how long these Miles to New Orleans conversations have been happening. So. No, I actually got asked like a question not too long ago by a Pelicans fan via direct message. Like, you think the Pacers would be willing to send Miles Turner to the Pelicans? I'm like, oh, we're having this conversation again? I, I honestly, like, with the Pacers and Miles, it's a very interesting dynamic because last year they tried to bring in DeAndre Ayton. Everybody knows about that. Miles and DeAndre had the same agent. Very awkward situation for everyone involved. But at the end of the day, it's professional basketball. You deal with it. Miles played the best basketball of his entire career. And he showcased why he belongs on this team. They figured out a way to do a renegotiation contract extension with him by basically giving him a max contract for the rest of last season. And then this year uh, it's, I think it's like 21 million and then next year it's 20 million. So it like drops really low. So 
I would say that maybe next offseason you could have this conversation when Miles is entering and expiring and the Pacers are trying to figure out what to do next because it's just going to be that same ring around the rosy thing until he locks a super long-term deal. And like two years is not a very long extension. So I don't think either side is committed 100% to each other. But I think for now, it's about as close as you can get. Yeah, just for me, do you think that the that it's more the Pelicans perceive that the Pacers have not made a commitment to Miles Turner? But I think to me, for the Pacers, for them, it's they haven't been able to make a lot of commitments to a bunch of people lately as they've kind of reshaped the organization. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Like you have to realize Miles could have been a free agent this summer. He could have had the opportunity to go where he wanted to go. But maybe the teams that are in championship contention or playoff contention, they wouldn't have had the money to bring him in. So maybe he looked at it from that perspective. But Miles just likes Indiana. Like that's just true. He's just been very vocal about wanting to be here, wanting to win here. So I think that the Pelicans and their interest, I think it makes a lot of sense because I think he'd be a pretty darn good fit next to Zion Williamson. Really good rim protector, guy that can really shoot the ball from three. Showcase a little bit more of a of a touch inside this year than we have than we've ever seen before from Miles as well. Still not the great rebounder that you want. I know Valanciunas is a much better rebounder than Miles, but I think in terms of like playing in today's NBA, Miles probably won't get as exposed as uh, exposed as much defensively as a Jonas Valanciunas would. So I do think that there definitely is, you know, the intrigue of what miles brings to the table pairing that with what the pelicans have because they've got a really deep roster all many almost too many guys that you can't find enough playing time for them so they're going to probably have to try to figure out how to consolidate that roster all together and if they got there and upgrade at center in a, in a different way upgrade because i think jv is still pretty good mm-hmm. but i'm just saying in terms of upgrade in terms of play style they have to be you know knocking on the door asking the pacers what they can do so I think the Pacers probably listen. They're not going to turn down any call from the Pelicans asking for a trade, but it's going to have to be a lot more than probably what they could have got them for maybe two years ago. The most difficult thing to me is that there's not really a lot as far as salary-wise that the Pelicans can offer the Pacers to make this deal work. Essentially, you'd have to give up if you're the Pelicans. You're giving Jonas Valanciunas because that's the only major contract that you have outside of your core guys and you're not giving up Ingram or Zion or CJ. And I don't think that the Pacers want Zion in this condition or would take on CJ's deal. Mm. That being said, if you're the only other contracts to pair with Jonas, that would make this work are Garrett temple, which is an expiring deal. And that's attractive. You can get rid of Garrett very quickly and you have no problem with that. And then the only other one is Najee Marshall, who again is a, a decent player, a role player, who could help another team, but is that worth it for the Pacers? And I think that's the biggest question in any trade is, is it worth it to the other team to make the deal? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think with that trade offer, you're probably not getting very far with the Pacers. They're probably hanging the phone up on you if that's the only offer, just because they value Miles a lot more than that. I think you're probably looking at giving up one of your younger players that's valuable to the team probably a Herb Jones, maybe a Dyson Daniels. I mean, you're going to talk about that kind of stuff, but the Pacers have the same problem as the Pelicans in terms of trying to consolidate the roster. The Pacers need more power forwards. They need more small forwards, which they don't have a lot of. Um, I I think Najee Marshall is actually a very interesting player. So I wouldn't mind him on the Pacers, but where's the playing time going to come in? I don't know if there's like a pathway to really find that form, maybe off the bench as like your ninth or 10th man. 
Uh, Garrett Temple, I don't think he'd do much here for the Pacers. And then you just got to think about value-wise in terms of, you know, age and stuff like that, what they mean to the franchise. So you're probably going to have to include the 14th overall pick, I would assume, if you're if you're going to even start with the trade conversation. But mm-hmm. I would assume that would have to be somebody that's got a little bit more value in terms of who the Pelicans have because the Pacers, you know, they value Miles. He's probably their second best player overall right now behind Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, maybe not part of their long-term core, but still I think talent-wise he's their second best player and they have to value him that way. And especially if they're making a significant trade like that, because while JV could come in and fill the gap for a couple of years, if you're not really bettering the roster, I just, I just don't think it makes a lot of sense. It would have, they would have to attach picks. They'd have to be at least, like I said, the 14 this year, which is not a super attractive pick if you're the Pacers, because the players you would need if you're trying to get longer are already gone. And then you don't really need anybody in your backcourt because you've handed it over to Tyrese Halliburton and you've got a bunch of money invested in Buddy Heald and that kind of stuff. So, the yeah, this year that 14 isn't particularly valuable unless you can find a third team potentially to partner to help the Pacers move up and get mm-hmm. a better player. Yeah, you have to wonder would 14 and 7 be enticing to a team to you know move back a couple spots? Like would Houston be like, okay, we'll move back from 4 to 7 or – would Portland be like, okay, we'll be back from three to get seven and 14 and see what other veterans we can bring in? You're probably looking at probably not, <laughs> but it's at least a better offer than the Pacers who have 26 and 29 in this year's draft asking for, you know, hey, can we move up with seven, 26, and 29? Well, well probably not. <laughs> you know, you might be able to move up to six, but like, no, you're not moving up into the top five, top four. So I really think that maybe future picks would be somewhat enticing for a, a guy like Kevin Pritchard just because we know that picks, they lose their value once they're selected. But as far out as you can push them, you know, you got Lakers picks, you've got, I think you guys have the Bucks picks, picks picks. Yeah, you got your own too. So there are some ways that you can maybe like finagle it where it makes sense. But are the Pelicans going to give up multiple first round picks from Miles Turner? That to me seems like something that we haven't really heard from a lot of teams yet. So I would be kind of surprised if they did that. And because again, if you do make the deal this year, knowing that he could become a free agent again, with no guarantee that he's going to want to stay, I think it's, it's a very, very risky move to make Mm -hmm. Um, particularly with a market for bigs that, that changes rapidly, um, especially when contending teams and we look at the West with Jokic being the, the fulcrum, and as long as Embiid is still the fulcrum in the East, these you're going to need somebody who can protect your rim and 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 shoot the ball a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think like looking at what the finals has shown us, having bigs that can playmake is really nice. And Miles is not really known for that, but I think that with the roster that New Orleans has assembled. You know, you're talking about Herb Jones, CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Zion. I mean, you throw Miles in that mix, that's a pretty good starting five. So you got to feel pretty good about that. Um, I'm assuming that's your starting five, if that if that were if that were Miles in there for JV. But um, uh, Jose Alvarado, like he's got a lot to his game as well. Like this is a good Pelicans roster. So you know, they're a, they're a prime team that does make sense to try to go out there and better their roster. I even thought about them potentially as a DeAndre Ayton team. Uh, if he was going to be on the move, I thought, could they offer JV plus some depth to Phoenix? Because we know Phoenix. He is not popular here, though. (laughs) So fan base, he's not popular. 
is he popular with any fan base right now? I think he's gotten such a bad narrative in the media all across national media because of his body language relationship with his coach that people have kind of soured on him and don't think he's as good as he is, but 18 and eight is still pretty good. And I think he could just use a new environment, honestly, like get him a good coach, which Willie green, you know, uh, former coaching staff, right. With the Phoenix suns. So there is that connection as well, but also I don't know if he's going anywhere anyway with Frank Vogel uh, there on the roster and, and what, he can do with Bigman because we saw him get the best out of guys like Roy Hibbert. Uh, so I, I just wonder, you know, do the Pelicans at this point have enough in them to realize that maybe they should just run it back with the same roster, don't make a lot of changes, maybe consolidate some areas, but JV is a very serviceable center. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think like he's the major problem. No. So it's to me, it's like, yeah, it's, it's an upgrade to get miles for, for sure. But and you should always try to better your team, but I think they could consolidate and find other ways to get better. And honestly, if Zion could just stay healthy and figure himself out and get himself in, a, in the best situation for himself, then this Pelicans team can go a lot further than they went this year. Because I, I think at one point, a lot of people talked about them being like a sleeper in the Western Conference, a team that could, you know, maybe make it to the West Finals or at least the second round and, and really be problematic for these other teams. But it just seems like it's kind of falling apart towards the end. And it's like, what's, what's happening with this roster. So I feel like they're kind of stuck in the middle a little bit. Yeah. I'd like to see them get more toughness. And I don't think taking Jonas out of the equation helps that. Mm-hmm. I think what you, what you have a problem is that behind Jonas, there are no bigs, you know, Jackson Hayes in four years did not get better. He, he, I was I was doing some free agent, um, you know, some just examining free agents for the Pelicans and Yuta uh, Watanabe, who yeah. is an interesting prospect at small forward, had only one fewer games with two blocks than Jackson Hayes did this year. Mm. You know, so That's when right. when you have that kind of stuff behind, you can't protect the rim. Billy Hernan Gomez cannot protect the rim. He's a good third big, but he's an offensive guy, and he does he's a he's a he's a yeoman. So the Pelicans have not had anybody to to back up their center or to back up Zion because, again, Larry Nance Jr., a very good player, but has shown that he can't play more than 50 games a season. Mm -hmm. He just gets hurt. And at 6'7", he has no business playing backup center. Uh, And he had to play that this year for the Pelicans. So if they can get a legitimate backup big, I think with Jonas, they're fine. It's not the Jonas minutes that are the problem. It's when he's off the floor or they don't use him that becomes the problem. Yeah, and I mean, I know this might not be a popular take, and I know I'm a Pacer guy, so this might sound like me trying to get off of somebody, but Daniel Tice is in Indiana, and I think that could be a serviceable big man because we've seen him be serviceable for the Celtics when they've been in the playoffs. Wasn't able to make it probably in the rotation for like the finals or the East Eastern Conference finals at certain points, but he played significant minutes in the first two rounds, and I think he's skilled enough being able to shoot the three, good screen setter, good basketball IQ, like that's a low end kind of guy you could get for cheap. And I think he's got a team option on his contract next year. So it's not like you're tied to him. And I think it's around $8 million. So that sounds pretty reasonable for a good backup center. He did come off of knee surgery, but when he played for the Pacers, like he only played like for a couple of weeks. And when he played though, I mean, you saw like, okay, this guy is our best screen setter (laughs) considering we have Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, and Miles Turner. Like, he was a better screen setter than Miles Turner. So, to me, like, that could make some sense. And going after someone like that, 
And I think at this point, you just got to punt on Jackson Hayes. I don't think that you're going to ever find that spot for him. I think that at 14, I know in our mock that we did, he took Jed Howard to get more shooting. I think it would actually be kind of smart to look at Derek Lively at pick 14. I think a lot of people, you know, he's one of the ones that, uh, you know, we're, we're previewing as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, certainly there's a lot of interest in him. You know, it's, I just went with, like I said, at the time, just thinking about unless they make those moves, you got to create that spot for, for Lively to, to be on the roster. But I think if you give him three years, he could be that starting center that you needed. And if he can continue to develop that three point shot, well, then you've got not the same player, but you got your own kind of version of Miles Turner on a rookie contract that you don't have to worry about losing in free agency that you can have for the next seven to eight years, whatever, and try to build them along with your core. But I think, you know, give them a couple years to develop, be the third string center, maybe even your second string center at some times, play JV, go out there and get you a veteran. That's when it would make more sense and slowly bring him along because I think he can be really good. Uh, Duke was just in a weird spot this year with everything that happened and transpired with the coaching change of Coach K to John Shire, trying to figure each other out. And they really had a nice uh, end of the season before they went out in the tournament. I think they won like nine or 10 games in a row, something like that. So they started figuring things out. And I feel like with his athleticism and the shooting that he showed at the combine, if that can translate, that's a pretty good player. So, I mean, I know there's interest. Yeah, I, I know that the Pelicans have interest. Uh, it's you know, I, I, it's it's going to be how this how the draft falls, and and mm-hmm. certainly what they end up doing with Jackson is a big part of that. How they how they maneuver to get him out. I think I, I don't think they have any interest. I think the, the other part of it is the NBA politics of it. Mm-hmm. Lee Green doesn't have an extension. David yeah. Griffin hasn't announced an extension. So there's a lot of pressure on this team. Like you said, not only to be healthy. But they've got to win 50, you know, like be in that range. They can't back their way in. They can't be in the play-in in year five of the David Griffin era. So I I wonder, too, how much of of their thinking going into the draft is about we can we may not be here to see this kid develop. Mm. Well, that's fair, too. And that's why I think they should be a prime team to try to trade that pick, you know. They don't need any more players on their roster, but I'm saying if they stay there, that's the guy they should take. Yeah, and I was like, heavy on that. Like, if they keep this, <laughs> yeah, they they really shouldn't because they already have so many young players. Like Dyson Daniels was like the eighth overall pick last year, and it was really hard for him to see the floor. Kyra Lewis was what pick 13, 14, something like that. Thirteen Maybe, two years ago, yeah. I mean, three years ago. Yeah, and it's just like I was excited to see what he could become, and it's just like it hasn't really clicked, and so. I feel like they're in this weird spot where they're trying to win now, but they're also trying to, they've been in spots where they've been trying to develop at the same time. And it's hard to do that. When you have CJ McCollum, when you have Brandon Ingram, when you have winning now, win now players, that's the mindset you have to go towards. So I think they need to find a way to say, Hey, we're not going to punt on all of our young guys, but let's take a look at, okay, let's see what the, the Raptors decide to do. I want to ask you this question real quick. Um, there are folks here divided and they say, well, if you had to make the choice, you choose B.I. If you had to choose between B.I. and Zion because you can't count on Zion. Mm-hmm. My thought is Zion is the only one on the roster who gives me a chance to win any series. And you give that guy as many opportunities as you can to get right before you give up on him. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> because how long are we going to wait on Zion? You know, I mean. You know, he's th- thankfully he's not in the John Morant situation where he's right. at now. 
because, you know, it seems like he's kept himself cleaner than that with the people he surrounded him with, right? But at the same time, the best ability is availability. And at what point is Zion going to really get in shape? Is he going to get himself, you know, NBA ready? Because at this point, like, he's a freak athlete. We've all seen the videos. We've all seen, you know, what he did at Duke. He was a freak. Like, him getting the number one pick, Alvin Gentry, you know, I don't blame him. I would have reacted the same way if I knew I was getting Zion because his ceiling is incredible. Nice. His ceiling is really top five player in the NBA. But he's yet to show that. So you're kind of holding on to something when you know Brandon Ingram is probably a top five small forward in the league, right? It's debatable, but I think he's that good. I think he's really special. I mean, B.I. Yeah, but B.I., you just worry about, is he going to do it all the time? It's like when he's inconsistent. And then he takes it away from you and you just get so frustrating. And Mm -hmm. that's the both of them are so talented and yet so frustrating. Yeah, I think B.I. is at the point where he can't be a number one on a team that gets you super far. I think he's got to be a number two. Mm-hmm. But that was the same problem with Paul George in Indiana. You know, Paul George is a great player, but at one point he reached his ceiling. He latched on to Russell Westbrook, and they didn't really do much. Then he latched himself on the Kawhi Leonard, and they really haven't done that much. So, But he's even said it, like, I just couldn't be the number one. I, I needed a Batman to kind of, like, latch myself onto. And that's not a bad thing. Zion can Zion can be that, but I think you have to if you're if you're the Pelicans, especially for David Griffin, and you know you're on the hot seat. If you get a offer that is like out of this world for Zion, I think you have to consider it because you don't want to put yourself in the same situation you do with Anthony Davis, even though you're able to screw Rob Palink in the Lakers because of his idiotic, you know. Anthony Davis wasn't going anywhere else. I mean, it was the Pelicans are bust, or it was the Lakers are bust. And the fact that Rob Palenka gave you all that just to get Anthony Davis there shows you like how desperate they were. So if there is a team that's that desperate for Zion, I think you have to listen. But, you know, you're right. Talent-wise, he is a much better player than than Brandon Ingram at their ceiling. But at least with Brandon Ingram, you know that he's going to stay healthy relatively compared to a Zion. And I just – I can't put all my eggs in the Zion Williamson basket at this point because. I think that that would be too risky, especially if you're trying to fight for your job. My gut says everybody's got 30 games this year mm. that Willie Green, Zion Williamson, this whole group, if the Pelicans come out at, after 30 games and they're like hovering around 500 or below 500, I think there'll be big changes get made immediately. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of the Pacers last season. Like they brought Rick Carlisle in, uh, in, in 2021, 2022, they brought Rick Carlisle in, uh, fire Nate Bjorkman, who was a disciple of Nick Nurse, and it was going to be this new era of Pacers basketball. We're playing the Raptors style, and it just completely went, you know, it went to the crap, right? It was just terrible. Couldn't get assistant coaches to coach for this guy. Like, nobody wanted to be on his staff. Guys that we had previously had quit. They bring in a vet, Carlisle. You got Sabonis. You got Turner. You got Malcolm Brogdon, you got TJ Warren, you got Karis Levert. You feel like you got a pretty solid squad that should be at least competitive in the Eastern Conference, but injuries just kept piling up. The guys started to not like each other anymore, and they hit a wall, and they hit a ceiling, and Rick Carlisle said, we're not going to win with this team. Let's strip it down. Let's blow it up. The Pelicans have been there before. They've had to go through rebuilds, and I'm sure they're tired of doing that. So at this point, though, I mean – New Orleans is in the situation where these guys are past the rebuilding stage. And like you said, they're in this stage where, hey, we got to start winning games. 
especially when to keep this core together. I personally did not love the CJ McCollum trade back when it happened. I understood it. I don't think he gave up that much, but I felt like McCollum is one of those guys that how far can he really take you? Is he your best player? Which he isn't, but you know, I, I feel like there's other ways that go about building this roster. Um, I would be interested to see if they could maybe get a more long-term point guard. Me too. Uh, that is something I think that a lot of teams need. Uh, don't know if there's really one out there, but. And they've struggled know. to develop. They keep drafting point guards. But they have not developed them. Like you said, with Kyra and with Dyson, who lost his confidence last year offensively as the season were on. I think they brought Dyson in to replace a lot of that Lonzo ball, um, you know, the lead ahead passing, the 6'7", 6'8", guard um, size. We already know he's an elite defender. I think Dyson could be, but you've got to give a point guard the basketball. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, when the Pacers finally got Tyrese Halliburton, it's like, okay, now we have something to build around. And Tyrese was a phenomenal point guard last year, made the All-Star game, and just kind of showcased what he can do by himself. And look what De'Aaron Fox showcased he can do by himself. So is there a team out there that has multiple point guards that you think maybe we should try to invest in trading for one of these? I don't know. I, I feel like point guards are hard you to talk to by. Detroit. You know, but it, it, again, it's a high cost. Yeah. Because Detroit, but, I think, has two things that the Pelicans could use, bigs and guards, yeah. point guards. But mm-hmm. the price for all of those guys right now is going to be high. Yeah, and then you got to think, well, maybe bringing in an actual veteran type of guy, like, mm-hmm. like a Mike Conley, like what the, we saw Minnesota do. Like that was a really smart trade to bring him in there. I don't think D'Angelo Russell is the kind of point guard that you want. No. But I'm I'm talking like a vet that can maybe do that kind of thing. Or maybe even Gabe Vincent. Like, if you, if I mean, if you wanted to get in that and and a hunt, Gabe Vincent. Yeah. How much is Gabe Vincent a product of what the Miami Heat are, or how good of a point guard can he be? You know, right. we kind of saw that with Josh. Yeah, it's the right price. It's very yeah. much the right price. Yeah. So I mean, I like somebody on the Pacers that I think could make sense as a point guard long term is Andrew Nimhart. Andrew Nimhart played really good basketball this year for a rookie. Tyrese Halliburton, when he was out, I mean, there were some games Andrew Nimhard just like was lights out as a point guard and he can defend his butt off. So is that someone like you kind of look like to find the next Jalen Brunson that's out there, right? Uh, because at this point, like the like the Pacers are not going to give Andrew Nimhard the keys to the point guard position. They got Tyrese Halliburton. So right. is there is there position overlap there where you can maybe pry someone away from a team like that? I'm not saying that the Pelicans have something the Pacers are looking for right now, but give it a couple of years. I mean, maybe that's something they could target and just kind of see what he can do. But overall, I think if the Pelicans can get that point guard, I, I wouldn't even be upset if they did a Chris Paul reunion. I just uh, think Chris Kidd's body can't make it. No. It, I, I love Chris, but his body just can't hold up. And the and Pelicans that, can't take any more risks on guys yeah. who are going to miss 25, 30 games. But I, I just say, if you're trying to win now, mm-hmm. uh, that to me is like a win now player. That could make sense. And it depends on what the Suns want to do. If they're looking for depth, they want to get off of them, that kind of thing. But, you know, I'm just spitballing ideas out here right now as we're talking because it's just like trying to find trying to find a point guard's hard. And that's why <laughs> it is. That's why Atlanta, like the Trey Young rumors are so like not crazy. We, whatever. He's not a good defender, but like Trey is a great scorer. I hear and you know, and I've talked to some of the coaches who were there that he he's hard in that locker room to get along with mm-hmm. like for coaches and for players that it's, he's not easy to play with. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't, I would, I, would, I don't want to, I mean, everybody that could just be, again, wrong, every, there could be the long, wrong locker room for anybody. 
And I'm not saying it's all him, but I, that's just what I've I've heard from people who are there or were mm. there. And that makes sense. I mean, Trey's an interesting character. <laughs> and bringing in DeJounte Murray, like, you know, they've got a unique lineup as well. But I, I mean, honestly, there are some good point cards in this draft. I mean, I'll just tell you this. If Kaysen Wallace is there at 14, the Pelicans better run to the podium and say that name. Because I think Kaysen Wallace, to me personally, I think he's the second best guard in this draft. Um, he's another guy that we we are, like, in our five or so players that we said these are the targets, Kaysen Wallace definitely in, in that group as well. So, yeah, yeah, I think we're seeing some a lot of the similar things um, yeah. as far as what their needs are. I want to hit you with two things real quick before I let you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, number one, as we look at the finals and you see Denver get there, this and, and we had the, the lead up beforehand and um, people talking about, this was a, this is not an interesting team to cover. Well, I think the NBA did itself a disservice, and I've said this throughout the playoffs, that the NBA messed this up by not featuring Denver more during the regular season, during the playoffs in primetime situations, in featuring a two-time MVP and a team that plays an enjoyably, uh, you know, an entertaining style of basketball. And, and so now when you say they're not compelling, the NBA did that to themselves. Yeah, when people say that they're not compelling, it's like, okay, I I get that uh, Nikola Jokic is more of a quiet guy, doesn't love to do a lot of the media runs and stuff like that, but we're talking about off-court stuff. I think the problem with the NBA now is that we've got so fixated on what's happening off the court that we forget what's actually happening on the court. More people are tuned in to podcasts and TV shows and whatnot that are talking about hypothetical stuff LeBron to the Mavericks, right? Like all this stuff. Like I guarantee you a small Mavericks podcast will get more downloads that week. Hearing about LeBron coming to the Mavericks. It's not going to happen. I'm just telling you, it's not going to happen. Then hearing about how good the Denver Nuggets have been. And Nikola Jokic's great run to the finals. Like even the Miami heat, like what they're doing, like being an eight seed, making it all the way to the finals. Like that's a really Cinderella story that a lot of people should be in, you know, entertained by and should be really invested in but instead they're like well who who's my team going to take with the 16th pick or or whatnot you know it's just to me I, I think we've lost focus on what basketball really is and that's the game played on the court I I love watching games but I'm sure you notice this too when you're watching a team that's middle of the pack 500 whatever your fan base doesn't have as much interest but as soon as oh x player becomes available all of a sudden you got triple the amount of downloads that you're used to having just because there's a hypothetical that's probably not going to happen. So I, I think that we've trained the fans to to play, you know, GM, like mock GM and do all this stuff with video games and stuff like that, where we simulate games and play GM mode and just try to make trades and build through the draft. So overall, I think there is a lot to talk about here. Jokic is one of the best players we've ever seen touch the court in the NBA. Jamal Murray, like his incredible rehab that he went through to get back to where he is. Michael Porter Jr. stepping up, being a player that was considered potentially a bust because of all the injury concerns. And I, and I think one thing that's overlooked, and I'm sorry for rambling here, but the amount of role players that are important. Look at Contavious Caldwell-Pope. That trade that the Washington Wizards made at the time, Ishmith and Contavious Caldwell-Pope for Monty Morris and Will Barton. Nobody thought anything about that when it happened. We're like, okay, role players getting traded doesn't matter. Yeah, it does. Because KCP is a baller. 
And KCP was the best player involved in that trade, and he's literally been the missing piece with him at that two guard, next to Jamal, next to Aaron Gordon, next to Michael Porter Jr. So I'm just saying, like, we really need to get back to focusing on what's important. And there are a lot of great people that talk about that stuff, but it's just like we don't value it as much. And I think if we did a better job, especially in the national media, like ESPN, who controls a lot of these talk shows and different things, if they had a show like NFL Live does where you've got Dan Orlowski and these other guys uh, breaking down film and showing you how this, this, and this happened on the field, if you got like a J.J. Reddick, Tim Legler, like those kind of guys that really enjoy So underutilized. You would have a great show. And it, you know what? It's not for everybody. But if you continue to put it out there and it's good content, you're going to get more people excited to find out about their team and like what a Spain pick and roll is, what floppy is, what is a backdoor cut, what is, you know, basic basketball knowledge to people that cover it every day, but might not be to the casual fan. But if you can break that stuff down, you're going to get a much broader audience. But I will say this, the NBA has to probably thank the international audience that they have, because I think the international audience is what, what is keeping this league afloat and how many great international players we have in it, because there's not, you know, the American players, they're not as dominant as they once were. It's an internationally uh, driven league. I mean, women Yama coming in, Giannis, Jokic, Luka. Come they on, come in more know? mature. They come in more, I think, hungry. Yep. Uh, because they've had, to, even as they became pros, women Yama's been a pro since 15, yeah. They had earned those minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, all these guys, Luka earned his minutes. Jokic earned his minutes. These guys had to become, they had, they got yelled at by grown men in arenas where people threw coins at them if they didn't play well. And, you know, guys were smoking five feet from them at 15 and they had to go to practice and they weren't playing games every day. I think that part of it is too, is we watch this highlight culture. And if, and I'm not trying to be an old man yelling at the clouds because I'm watching the basketball of it mm-hmm. and playing games is being somebody who has been around the game my entire life. I've never heard a coach tell me you get better by constantly playing games. It's about practice. And you see in Europe there, they are focused on skill development and mental development of the game. And we're playing games and trying to get the most moves. Mm-hmm. Got the deepest bag. Yeah. And, and I think Paul George even brought that up on his podcast. He said the reason there's so many injuries is because there's less practice. He said, everybody thinks that less practice is better for you. He's like, no, we'd hit practice hard. And when I was in Indiana, I mean, it was like practice games practice. And it's just, your body got so used to that contact all the time. That's why you didn't get as many injuries. And then now you go to, Oh, we're going to take days off and be soft and rest and that kind of stuff, you know? And now you see more injuries happening. I will say this about international players too they seem more loyal to their franchise than American players do. Look at, I mean, all of the guys that I brought up besides Wimbenyama, they've been faithful with the franchise that drafted him, even Joel Embiid, <laughs> right? So, but then you see guys like LeBron who switched teams a couple of different times now. Kevin Durant switched teams, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, uh, Jimmy Butler. You, you see like your big names. I think Steph is probably like the only big name superstar that probably has the a- last one. He'll probably be the last yeah. one. Yeah, him well, and that- Dame. Yeah, yeah, Dame. Dame, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like you think about it, it's just like, you know, it, it, it's it's hard, I think, for fans to really invest when they know their player could their best their favorite player could be gone in two, three years. The moment something goes wrong, people are looking for a way out and they're looking for this, that, and that. It's like go back and like I'm not saying the 90s are better than now. I still think they are a little bit just because what I love 
Yes. Competitively, the they were. Game. It was a lot different. And I've really enjoyed how teams stay together. Like, for my for the Pacers, for me, right? Rick Smith, Reggie Miller, Dell Davis, uh, Derek McKee, and Mark Jackson where you're like your staple five. And they could take the Knicks on and then just couldn't get over them. And then finally do, and they lose to the Magic, you know? And it's just like you, you, you had your Knicks team with Patrick Ewing, and he was the staple there. John Starks, and they, and they stayed together forever. And same with Orlando with Penny and Shaq until Shaq left for the Lakers, right? Like that was a really fun team. And then the Bulls, obviously, that won multiple championships. You just saw – so like yes, there was player movement. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of them didn't move as much as we're seeing now. You're not talking about Durant and Kyrie all traded in like a matter of two days, right? So that to me is where I think – it was different, and the lack of rivalries has negatively impacted today's game, especially from a viewership, because I grew up with the Pacers-Pistons brawl. We hated that team, right? Now we could care less what each other does. <laughs> you know, it's like, like I, okay. I, I grew up as a Knicks fan hating the Celtics, the Bulls. The You know, like, I had a good list of teams that I could not stand. And, of course, yeah. the Pacers, like, that just – that meant something to me. And like you said, to watch those teams – Knowing that they were flawed, knowing mm-hmm. that both of those squads, the Pacers and the Knicks, at their best, were flawed teams, it was about the competition. It was the fact that they put everything into those 77, 74 games. There, there was nothing left. You were ex- mm-hmm. you were exhausted watching it um, in that regard. And I feel like guys, there, and, and, and as you said, more and more of these older players, Damian Lillard or and and um, Demar Derozan, talking about. What's going to happen when the older guys who taught you that are gone? And it's these guys who've never had to learn how to win. You didn't have to learn how to win in high school. You didn't have to learn how to win in AAU. You didn't have to learn to win in college because you're only there one year. You got to the NBA on a bad team because you got drafted early. When do guys in in the United States now, when do the best basketball players learn to win? Because in every other sport, football, baseball, whatever, you're still going to have to learn how to win. You're going to take a beating every now and then. But the best basketball players in this country never have to learn how to win if they don't want to. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's it's just everything's handed to these people nowadays, it feels like. You know, they get told how great they are all the time. You can't say anything negative about, any, negative about anybody because it comes back as like you're being harsh on a player. You know, it, it's just one of those things where I think this generation of young players, while it's super talented, you know, it's just a different dynamic. You know, you don't see the same, like, I'm trying to be careful. I say this. I'm not trying to offend any of our younger players today. Cause I think there's a lot of great players, but you just don't really see like the same will or like drive as a Kobe Bryant. Like you hear them all talk about it, but I just don't always see it from them. It's always like the storylines you hear about the most are the ones that are like, well, I don't like that. I'm not getting in this many touches. So they almost like a selfish mentality instead of a team mentality. So at the end of the day, I think there's still good young players out there that understand all that. I just think the ones that maybe don't as much have gotten a little bit more of the, of the spotlight. So it would be cool to see some of these younger teams that are on the rise. Like I loved what Sacramento did this year. I think you saw the drive from that team, Darren Fox playing through that injury. Like that was a team that was really easy to root for. And you could feel how much that meant to them. I think that if we get more teams like that, uh, in the next four to five years, then the league's going to be in a really good spot. I just feel like um, we're losing some of the the guys that, like you said, are still part of that older generation. Like, say what you want about Russell Westbrook. 
He wants it. He wants it. And he plays with a certain edge. And it's it's easy to root for a guy like that when he's on your team, right? You get frustrated with him. He makes dumb shots. But then other times he'll just, like, do crazy things. And you're just like, wow, Russell Westbrook, like, really proving that he's a better player than the national media gave him credit for. So that, to me, is just, like, where I'm at with everything. It's just, like, I like today's NBA. I think it's in a great spot. I think there's a lot of great talent. I just want to see rivalries develop. I want to see guys stay more loyal. I want to see, you know, yeah, just more edge. And I, I think that part of it, too, has been the rule changes to manufacture more offense. And We don't need 140, man. 120 is good. Yeah. I wouldn't mind if they brought the hand check back. I know I sound like I'm a little. <laughs> you don't have to, I mean, it doesn't have to be the full forearm God all over the place, but dang, I mean, it's just. It's 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 too many parades to the free throw line. It's mm-hmm. too much of where the offensive play. Like if you're a defender and you have no chance, literally, you have if if you do anything, it's it's called. I just think mm-hmm. it doesn't benefit. We're seeing guys like the the you know the, the number fifty point games last year was too much. It's too like much. Brady Anderson getting fifty home runs. It's just it shouldn't happen. We've gotten into the steroid era of buckets, and we need to bring it back a little bit. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. I, I think that's a hundred percent right. And if we can just ran it in, because I think, you know, it was kind of fun watching the Knicks and the heat go at each other and be able to play a defensive physical game. Like I, I like seeing a rock fight every once in a while. I mean, I like seeing 120 points, but I like seeing a 90 to 85 final score every once in a while, because it makes you just realize how much more each point is worth. Like if I, if you're scoring 125 points a game and you're a 20 point scorer, it doesn't seem as significant as being a 20 point scorer on a team that scores 95 points a game. So it's just like, yeah, there's a lot more scoring going on, but there's also a lot worse defense. Yep. And thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure when we get to talk, <laughs> man. And, and I'll try to make it not as long uh, this time uh, as soon as maybe we find something out after the draft, or maybe if there is a move and certainly when the Pels play the Pacers this season, we'll have to talk. Oh, yeah, for sure. I always enjoy coming on. I always appreciate when you come on our podcast, too. I know that our conversations probably haven't been as uh, uh, frequent because of the lack of, like, Pelicans Pacers trade rumors that we had for a couple of years there. But, you know, it's always good to talk with you. And I and I just want to make sure that everyone's clear. Like, I'm not crapping on the league or anything like that. I think it's in a great spot. I want to make sure I say that. I just think we can always be better. Always ways to improve it. And I think just appreciate the great basketball that we're seeing that's on the court right now because – Miami, as much as I'm not a Miami fan, uh, being a Pacer guy, I, I respect the crap out of what they're doing. And I think the same thing for Denver. Like, I love uh, Michael Malone. I think that he's a very underrated coach, doing a great job with that Nuggets team. And it's really cool to see that they're gonna they're getting their flowers and the recognition they deserve. So, uh, but David, you do a great job. You're not listening, ladies and gentlemen, and you're listening to this for some reason because you wanted to hear some random Indiana Pacers guy come on. Uh, make sure you subscribe, give them a follow, uh, support the show because this is great Pelicans content. And thank you so much again, brother. Uh, yes, tell sir. folks how they can follow you and keep up with you. Yeah. If you guys want to check out any of my work, I'm over at, uh, on Twitter at Alex golden NBA. You can find me on Instagram there too. I'm not really active with that. This is my personal life mostly, but, uh, if you want to check out on Twitter. I try to share things. And if you don't have an ESPN plus account, I will make sure I tweet out the mock drafts for you so you can see what they're saying. So, uh, just try to give back to the community that way a little bit. Cause I tell you what, all these subscriptions, man, eventually it adds up and it's just like got a hole in your wallet from it. <laughs> Thank you again to my guest, Alex golden. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex golden NBA and check out his setting the pace podcast 
as well. Based on that conversation, the Pelicans are going to have to offer up a pretty nice package that either includes some first-round picks or one or two of the team's coveted youngsters. I don't see New Orleans parting with Trey Murphy III or Herb Jones in order to add Turner. So you think that David Griffin and his team would really either have to involve another team to make a trade or sweeten this pot considerably. Tomorrow, join us again for another episode of The Bird Calls. I'll be speaking with Pelicans broadcaster and reporter Aaron Summers as we get closer and closer to the draft, free agency, and before you know it, summer league and training camp as well. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all the shows on HITP Sports Media. Please like and comment as well. And thank you once again so much for joining me and for your support. Till the next time, in the words of Preston Ellis, take care.